Hello, I'm Matthew Stepanek. And I'm Rayanne Haynes. And this is Let's Get Lit. In every episode, we interview poets of stature about their work and about the power and relevancy of poetry in order to support and promote poetry, the arts, and literacy. In a conversational style, we'll enjoy a glass of wine chosen to match the poet's personality and style while learning more about each poet and asking why poetry matters to them. Hopefully, we'll be able to maintain our composure as we move closer to some form of bacchanal truth. Mm-hmm. We would like to acknowledge our interview takes place on Treaty 6 territory, a traditional gathering place for diverse Indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, Papas Chase, Nakota Sioux, and many others whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence our vibrant community. And we'd like to thank wine expert Gervinder Batia for his generosity as the podcast wine sponsor. Our pairings come from Gervinder's private cellar. And Let's Get Lit is presented with the Writers Guild of Alberta, and we're grateful for their support in promoting and sharing this podcast. As you're listening, feel free to share your thoughts on the conversation with us on Twitter at Let's underscore Lit. Uh, so today, um, we're joined by a very special guest. Yep. And like all of our guests are very special, but this one is particularly special. Uh, <laughs> we're just like... going to be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Delete my episode. Yeah. They, they, they come back for us. Um, today we're joined by Titi Lope Shanuga, uh, as an award-winning poet, writer, and performer who calls both Edmonton, Canada, and Lagos, Nigeria home. She is the first poet to appear at a Nigerian presidential inauguration, performing an inaugural poem, We Are Ready, at the May 2015 ceremony. She was the winner of the 2011 Canadian Authors Association Emerging Writer Award for her first self-published collection of poems, Down to Earth. Her second collection, Abscess, Um, was published in 2014 by Gecko Publishing uh, in South Africa, and her work has appeared in Brittle Paper, The Great Black North, Contemporary African-Canadian Poetry, um, has been translated into Italian for Al Ghibli magazine, and into German for the Berlin International Poetry Festival. So you've got fans across the world. And uh, her latest collection of poetry, which is the one that we'll mainly be discussing today, is This Is How We Disappear. And it recently came out um, just a couple weeks ago from yeah. Right Bloody North yes. in the, I guess, yeah, in the spring of 2019, mm-hmm. uh, which is where we are. So welcome, Titi. Thank you very much. Yes, welcome. I'm to change that bio entirely <laughs> when I leave. It can't. Really? I hate bios. <laughs> I just think I just, like you write them, but then when you actually hear them read back to you, you're just like, oh. yeah, it's true. I think I look at my bio like once a month and go, oh, I don't, I don't know. What did I do? Yeah. You had a lot of like different tabs on your website. Like there's oh, a lot of things, and I was yeah. like, oh, which ones am I going to pull and pick? So in a lot of ways, I it's did your change fault. your bio. <laughs> yeah. Let me, if you don't like it, it's kind of like, yeah, I did select it. So you probably did a wonderful job. I just didn't want to read everything. Well, Brandon Wind actually wrote the very long bio on my website, but it's, oh. it's a long one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just yeah, have fun fact. a wonderful <laughs> list of accomplishments that we have to go through every time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Well, I am going to introduce our wine for this evening because um, as people have come to know, we'd like to enjoy a glass of wine while we're um, discussing our our evening with our poets. So our wine this evening is a Lambrusco, which is a sparkling red from Monte della Vigne in Italy. 
And uh, Monte del Vigne is in Emilia Romagna, which is located in on gentle hills that slope down from the height of 300 meters right to the bank of the River Taro. It, yes. <laughs> Um, and the wine itself is fabulously inviting. It's a sparkling red that offers a dry and drinkable um, palette. It's grown organically on clay and limestone soils. It has fresh, bright black cherry, blackberry fruit, um, some attractive fermentary notes, and the taste is also ripe with a nice depth of dark cherry and plum. Uh, we've had a couple tastes of it in advance of our of our discussion, um, but I knew when I started researching the wine for you that we had to offer something abundantly unique, just like you. And I knew as well that this wine had to signify maturity and wisdom, but also playfulness. And it had to be a wine that was set apart from others. Oh, wow. So the Lambrusco, which is seemed to be to me the perfect choice to match your personality it is a wine that resonates as I believe your poetry resonates and I believe that you are a poet of generous gifts and a passion for art and family and we are honored to share this wine and, and this is evening of poetry with you, you cry yeah you start. is that is that what this is about usually you in a room cry. usually <laughs> thank you so much it, it's an honor to be here and the wine is delicious it is, it is rather nice, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I like yeah. Titi and I both took that moment yeah. while, you were, while you were reading it and we're like, yeah, I do get those fruits. Those, mm-hmm. those fruits are happening. And yes. The loveliness has kind of calmed down now and it just feels like... Yeah. And I've never had, I have never, never had a Lambrusco a before and a sparkling red. So this mm-hmm. is really, I think it's quite a treat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I like awesome. this more than the other. Like I think I've bought cheaper Lambruscos. Like you can mm. pick some up for like... 14 or 13 dollars and i think it's more of like for a shame for shame i know right like where i was just like i want to try this one but then yeah, it's, it's just like just really low yeah <laughs> it's just <laughs> they're they're too sweet so this one this one's dry this it's one's nice good. and dry yeah, yeah. Kind of dry it does feel very mature yeah. yes it does so this is this is the part where we like stop talking about us and say <laughs> how are you tt i'm good i'm good you're good yes and i mean that not like no you say i'm, I'm fine but I feel like lately I'm being more deliberate about like saying mm-hmm. I'm tired, mm-hmm. I feel this, I feel that. Right now, I feel today's a good day. Yeah, I feel calm. And you just returned from a, a little mini away. Yes, yeah. my husband planned this like Mother's Day weekend in Kelowna and told me like the night before you left. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and usually I'm like, oh, I love trips, but traveling with a baby now is challenging. So when you said that, I'm like, oh. Amazing. <laughs> I started thinking about all of the like. Do you know how much I have to pack overnight? And packing, and you just yeah. told me today, you know, all that. But it's my son also like wanted me to have a nice time, I believe, and so sure. it was like a dream to travel Aww. with. It's a very short flight, so that was easy. But mm-hmm. yeah, so it was a nice little break. So I'm feeling like still kind of refreshed from that. So I'm calm. So if you caught me maybe later in the week, this wouldn't be as oh. zen, but I'm feeling good. Oh, good. We like Zen. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to steal some of the Zen. I'm like, I'm oh, going yeah. for that. Yeah, I'm like, this is relaxed. Yeah. Yeah, we can be calm right now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been doing the same thing where like I just pause before I answer the how are you question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thoughtful do. intention mm-hmm. with your answers. And I also, and even on the receiving end, I always used to ask that question. And I don't know that I really like was also pausing to care about like what the person was gonna say yeah but there are a few people i know when you ask them like how are you doing and they're like do you really like to know like would you really like to know and then they like tell you the real thing i'm like 
I wasn't for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but like it's I think, you know, the world is mm. hard. Let's be nice to each other. So I think listening to hear like what people have to say when they say when you ask how they are stick. It's like a leap that I'm jumping into mm. these days. Yeah. So a way we can extend care and stuff to yeah. people too. Because I feel like there's like other languages where like they don't even bother to ask how you how you are like when you greet someone because it's like it's like supposed to be an empty air statement oh. where you're just you know you just say like come see come saw like whatever like oh. let's move on like you know it's not like a legitimate how are you question sure, it's yeah. just sort of like a another way of saying hello um, so yeah. yeah like I kind of like that oh let's pay attention to the way that we're using language yeah. and then also the first to, person who like made like turned the tide in my brain was actually Brandon Woods who I love who I love please do I was just thinking that he when you said say, how's your heart that's what mm. I'm just like what like how do you lie to that question like you can't just say fine you have to tell them the real thing so now I think about that often when I ask people yeah Brandon Wint just for the listeners (laughs) is um, also a a poet based out here out of Edmonton and is just a really lovely human being and a lovely poet 100% yeah yeah okay Uh, so you just had your book your new book come out like really new yes Um, and you did a brief tour in um, already for around yes. that book, correct? Mm-hmm. So, do you have any other like exciting um, tours or projects on the horizon around the around book, the book release? Yeah, so I'm back. So we did Vancouver. We had to postpone the Ontario date, but it's coming back now. So we're going to Toronto, Ottawa, and there's conversations around Montreal and uh, mm-hmm. Lanark County, and just trying to like cover that whole area. Um, and then much later on, I'm potentially going to Edinburgh for the book festival. Oh, and, yeah. And maybe London. So, like, the world is big and there are lots of opportunities. And so this phase, I guess, is just about, like, putting the book out in the world and, yeah. then, like, watching it make its way. Um, but, yes, yeah, definitely lots of travel. But I feel like that's the theme of my life. So it's kind of like I'm going to be on the move. I already know it. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned... Um, earlier on while we were setting up that you're working on an album is that so can you tell us a little bit about that so the album's called swim and it is made possible by the edmonton arts council Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) very important um and it's it's a spoken word album i haven't had one Mm -hmm. since my last one i think was in 2010 i want to say it was called mother tongue um, and a lot of life and a lot of growth has happened since then. And so I felt it was important to create something that was reflective of like those transitions in my life. And it's called swim because of this idea of, you know, sinking or swimming mm. and the ways in which we thrive and survive, how we move through loss and heartache and, uh, all of the things that the world throws at us and choose to swim, um, mm. And so I'm, it's, I keep saying, like, with the, the group I'm working with to create the album, it's an album that I'm trying to create uh, because of a time in which I needed the album. So it's yeah. almost like, I keep telling them, like, think about, like, when you've been in your deepest heartbreak or, like, in your deepest loss or whatever. Think about, like, the music that you reach for and what you want to hear. Like, that's the kind of energy I'm trying to bring into the work. Mm. Um, because, I, like, I needed that at a time and yeah. I didn't find it, so I just cried a lot. Uh, hmm. so yeah I'm creating this album with a lot of those intentions like I want it to be a piece of work that people reach for when they're feeling like they want to sink and that they would choose instead to swim yeah. hmm. Hmm. wow that's uh... I feel like I could have used that 
like yeah. yesterday and like still today. Yeah. But like, yeah, that sounds like something that will always have relevancy and use. I yeah. hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah, I, I feel like in the early stages, like I was just like trying to create work and just put it in the world. Um, just because there's like an urgency, you're just like, just do it, just mm-hmm. self publish. So, you know, whenever you talk about self publishing, it's like having leprosy in the literary community. But at the time, <laughs> I was just like, I want to do a book, I'm not going to wait, here's the thing, you know? And I kind of missed that energy where it was just like I was fearless and I didn't really care about like, I didn't care about what uh, was traditionally done, I didn't care about what the standards mm-hmm. were. I was just like, just put the world, the work into the world and let it, let it make its way. Um, I feel like I'm a little bit more intentional now about like, or maybe I'm just more tired. So like, I want to create something that I don't like. I don't have to. I don't feel the need to go refresh it every time. Like, oh, I don't. I want to create an album where I can like. I I'm okay with letting it run its thing, and then do another album when it's time. Not I need to do another album to like destroy the record of the bad album I just put out. You know, I feel like you know growth and time. Uh, and even just like, what are you putting into the world, and why does it matter? And who needs to hear that? And who cares? I'm taking a bit more time these days to do that, more intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. Because hmm. like sometimes I think about it, and I don't know if you relate to this too, but like the idea that there are so many artists out there producing work, and any time that I want to put something out there, I want to make sure that I'm saying something different, or like yeah. making sure I stand out in some way. Do yeah. you kind of think about your work in response to everything else? Yes and no. I do because, like, how can I not? Uh, but also, we live in, like, it's such a connected world that we live in, like, where you're online all the time and you're always yeah. looking over your shoulder. This mm-hmm. versus, like, every day someone's like, oh, big announcement. And, oh, I've done... And you're just like, I'm in my pajamas. I haven't bathed. Like, don't stress my life. You know, you're always just thinking about, like, yourself. And, like, I think that's yeah. the world we live in. You're always thinking about yourself in relation to other people. Uh, but not in, not in a noble way. Almost, like, in a way of, like, uh, checking these milestones that you feel like you need to be reaching, but also, like, like what are they saying? What am I saying? Uh, so I say yes and no, because yes, it does matter. Like, you want to add something to the conversation that is valuable and, like, forward-moving and interesting and all that kind of stuff. But you also have to be careful about, like, uh, creating out of your instinct and out of your intuition and not out of, like, what you think is, like, r- r- competitive or in a response yeah. to what else is happening. So it's, it's a tricky balance. Mm-hmm. And I'm like everyone else in the same way where I'm just like, oh, this person just done. You know, there's, there's this other thing where you have an idea for something and this happens all the time. And then someone does something that feels like kind of almost close to the idea. And you're like, well, I guess I can never do that again in my life. But it's like, just do the work. Like, just do the thing. And, I, and yeah. that's my new thing now. Create the work and let it make its way. And it always does. And you don't know where it's going to make its way to. And that's not your job. Like, your job is to just, like, follow the intuition and just do the thing. And I'm saying that, like, because it's, like, actual work that I continue to do. Not that I'm fully in in there yet. But, yeah. So the answer, in short, is yes and. Yeah. 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 I prefer the long answer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I had one person um, say to me um, a while ago that, she actually didn't care whether other people thought what she was writing was important or not. Mm-hmm. That it was that she was writing for the act of writing what she needed to write, Ooh. and um, and it and it was in relation to like mental health mm. and family. And she said, "I I'm not trying to make um, like something that will be poignant to other people. Mm. I'm I'm trying to make something that keeps me alive, keeps me alive, <laughs> yeah. right? And yeah. I feel like you're kind of." Yeah. Saying the same thing. Like on one hand, yeah, you want people, you yeah. want it to be important, but also it's more about the act of yeah. 
yeah. of writing it for I think the creation starts, like, I, I, I mean, I'm speaking for all artists, so, yeah. which I shouldn't be, but I feel like on some level, like, that creative instinct or impulse starts from you right. and the thing that you desire uh, to see in the world. And so it is kind of selfish in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do care. Like, I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know that I'm 100% in this phase of, like, not just creating it. And, but yeah. I do care how the work is received on the other end. Maybe a little too much. Mm. But I'm always just like, okay, how does this thing that I'm saying or doing, like, how does it land on the other side? And I think maybe mm. because I, like, emerge from, like, the, a performance space, that's, mm. like, a more urgent um, uh-huh. reality because like pe- the people are like right there in front of you when you're doing the thing right? Uh, versus the work that like go- makes its way and you're just kind of like very removed from it so I think that is always kind of circling uh-huh. like how does a poem land in the room when you're saying it out loud I'm carrying that intention even to like written work how like somebody has this book in their house like what kind of energy is this book creating like why do they you know why does this matter mm-hmm. I'm on a journey I don't know yeah. <laughs> I feel no, like I'm still kind of trying to figure it out like why why does this work matter? And to who? And to be quite honest with you, there's some days where you wake up and you're like, nobody cares. I just, <laughs> <laughs> go back to work and shut up, you know. Um, yeah. But on the on the bright days, it's like, some one person cares, and that that has to be good enough, you know. Yeah. 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 Hmm. I think in terms of cycles too, like we we can bring you back on in five years for an anniversary episode and ask you the same question mm-hmm. and see. See right, how the answers yeah. change. I, I'm just always really intrigued by by that question and that answer from you know from different people and where people are landing in their in their moment right now. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and it's a question I ask myself all the time too. Like, why are you actually doing this? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> what are, yeah. And what are you doing? Yeah. 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 Hmm. Um, well. Talking of other artists, though, and. Um, another forms of art um is there anything you're reading right now that's really inspiring you or that you're just enjoying or is there kind of other things that you're taking in um i'm all over the place like music and like literature kind of go hand in hand for me uh right now i'm reading a collection by tiana clark called mm. uh, i can't talk about the trees without the blood oh, oh my god it is so good and it's one of those books that you shouldn't read after you've just put out a collection because you're like, okay, <laughs> burn every copy. <laughs> like, but it's, so, it's just like, it's such like a nuanced take on uh, black womanhood and like just, it's raw, it's good. It, there's pop culture, there's just life, you know, and she writes so brilliantly. Um, so I'm just like entrenched in that work at the moment. Mm-hmm. What am I listening to? Uh, there's a Nigerian artist called Asha who like I, I write to often when I'm, I'm I, I listen to often when I'm writing and she's like there's a new album that she's about to put out so she just released a single today I've had it on loop the entire day I'm obsessed oh uh, what's <laughs> it called uh the song is called the beginning the beginning by Asha, A-S-A, Asha. Mm. and she's brilliant um but I'm also I feel like one of the the beauties of like our social media age is that like poetry is always on the timeline like somebody's always sharing a poem and so Twitter has sort of become a, a strange <laughs> anthology. Yeah, yeah. Where like yeah. every day you're you're kind of uh, reading poems that come that come across. But yeah, Tiana's work is sort of where I'm stuck at the moment, and I probably will be in it for a long time. Yeah. Hmm. Nice. Wonderful. Um, well, how would you feel about uh, reading us a poem this evening? I would feel great. Okay. Poem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were hoping that you would read um, "This Is How We Disappear," which. I believe is the title poem of the collection. Yes. Yeah. 
No, she, I believe. There's a line that is, this is how we disappear, that appears in a later poem, and oh. that's what it's named after. No, that's a, it's a bullshit oh, thing that you can oh. just cut up. I, I was like, I don't know if you realize how often the line, this is how we disappear, appears in the club. No. Just, oh, does it? No, I don't, I don't think it does. He's, he's shitting you. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, you know when you get to, like, you've like seen so many edits of a collection that you, honestly, I don't know what... I can't remember anything anymore. <laughs> I, I mean, there are points where, like, I have noticed things that repeat that I want to talk to about. Yes. So okay. those are, like, those, yeah. those are the I'm motifs, sure the intentional, intentional motifs. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes that, they're not. They're just, like, crutches that I use in my life. So I really would appreciate if you didn't judge me. No um, judgment. Don't point them out, Matthew. Yeah. No. <laughs> There's the ones that are intentional. I know they are. I know you have good answers for them. I hope I do. I you do. I probably be, like... I don't even remember writing my poem. How did get here? Um, okay, this is how we disappear. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is how we disappear. We fall backwards into our mother's mouths, become them, become the only stories we've ever been told. Stories about women who stay, women who offer up their bodies into the belly of the beast to protect their children. This is how we go missing. We tumble into a fist. Bones beaten to pulp crumble beneath the weight of a man with a hole in his chest and the vacuum takes us to a place where we are never enough yet we are too much. Our mouths too big, bodies too soft, too whole. So the wolves come, dragging the screeching bodies of little girls from their childhoods, folding our hearts into their mouths. They find us at work, at school, knees bent at the altar or on the dance floor, whether we are a shy whisper or a loud joy. Whether we are hips moving free or too small to carry the weight of it, they come with a stranger's whisper. Or names we know well, we call them uncle, call them brother, call them friend, call them on nights when the world feels too big, when we ask for a shoulder and get a fist instead, claws that peel our bodies open. We try to forget what we cannot forgive. We throw away our names, we shapeshift, code switch, tell no one, hold the secret in our mouth until it rots. We cancer in silence, learn a whole new language for survival, teach it to our daughters too. But today, we take our voices back, we take our bodies back, we gather the broken, gather the split and scattered, gather what remains, whatever still has a pulse, even what is only a shadow of itself is still worth loving. Everything we pay for in our blood, let it come from all the places we were left for dead, we return with nothing but the skin on our backs, we do not glance back. We do not turn to salt this time. We are the ocean. We reclaim what belongs to us and we swallow whatever refuses to be moved. Ask about us. These women who reinvented joy, who snap back our broken bones to the rhythm of a survival song, a song about the audacity of living and loving anyway. We become a whole new kind of creature, something fearless and fierce, something bold enough to call down even lightning and dare it to touch us. Wow. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <Yeah>. Amen. <laughs> what a glorious uh, tribute to womenhood. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I just, everyone needs to like remember that we forgot to breathe while we were listening to that I think poem. I did a little bit. Yeah. I mean... <clears throat> Uh, you know, story that the the story of the woman is always the most important thing to me, mm-hmm. and um, so hearing that poem was like really powerful. And thank you, thank, thank you. you for like creating that for people. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so you, you touched on it a little bit when you introduced it, but mm-hmm. the I guess the general term of spoken word, and also I believe that many people 
would say to you that you are the the mother of the spoken word community in Edmonton. In Edmonton. You know, uh, I've, I've I've heard it from passed around from a few people, oh, wow. but like you know, the you you know started Breath and Poetry, mm-hmm. and I wonder if you could share with us a little bit about the the origin of that mm-hmm. community, mm-hmm. and um, you know maybe the the need that you saw and how you kind of responded to it. Sure. Um, so I'd started like I was an engineer in my former life, and I was kind of doing poetry on the side, but. I started performing poetry in university and there was like young communities where I could go and do that. The first time I think that I had like what I call a real performance was a, a showcase that Shima Robinson actually started in the city oh. at the Naked Cyber Cafe, which was downtown at the time. And I had like this 30, it was like a killer blinks poem, you know, yeah. like a 30 second number. But I was just like, ah, I was so nervous. I remember sitting there, uh, and I couldn't hear anybody else speak because I was just like, my turn, my turn. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then she calls me up. I had memorized this thing. And then I just did the poem. I don't remember anything that happened. But I remember the feeling of after and just being like, whoa, that was so cool. And I want to do that again. Uh, and the night went on for uh, some time after that. And then it shut down. Um, and so that like pushed me to start looking for other places to perform. At the time, there was... Uh, 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 in the basement of the Greek restaurant on the way down. Oh, Yanni's? Yes, yes, yes. Band. Yes. And, and you go up and you say to them, like, my poem is about. Oh, the Raving Poets. The Raving Poets. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And yeah. so they would play uh, and you would, like, perform your poem, which it was, it was a very, very cool thing. Uh, the Edmonton Poetry Festival was, like, one of the earlier platforms for me as well, where it was, like, a place where you could share your work and people actually, like, cared what you had to say. Um, but in the process of moving through the city, I started to meet other artists like myself who were like, like, where can I share my work? Uh, I'm just starting out. I'm not a professional poet. I don't like, I don't, I don't know where I fit. Uh, and I had always had this like idea of creating like an open mic night because I used to watch like Deaf Poetry Jam and I thought it was like super cool and I thought, oh, how cool would it be to create something like that, that was, that felt very upbeat, that felt very sort of informal um, and, and very warm and inviting. Um, so I put this idea on the page and just wrote it down. It was called The Lyric at first. Nobody knows that because it's a horrible name. Oh. <laughs> and it's an exclusive. The Lyric. Oh, the Lyric. I had a whole proposal done up. And um, hmm. uh, I think because at the time that I was performing poetry, like in a lot of spaces, to be quite honest with you, I would go and I would like, my poems were memorized and I would perform them. And then people would come up after and say things like, oh, you memorized all your words. And it became a lot about like the performance of the work. And I didn't really feel heard. And I was just like, no. but I feel like I'm doing a lot more than just like this performance. And it, because, I don't know, spoken word has always sat like kind of in the fringes of literary community. And yeah. and um, in, in certain moments, I definitely felt like the, like, the uh, the energy that I was capturing was more around like it was very performative and not really about like this work that I felt like I was really pouring myself into. Anyways, so in creating the space, I wanted to create a space in which people like performance poets um, didn't feel that way uh, and could really just like let loose uh, and um, also poets who didn't feel like they were like super polished or like. Um, ready for like the big scene could come and just try out so we made a really big deal around like first time poets at the mic and stuff like that so anyways to go back so i proposed to um sam who owned uh this place called the rose bowl Bowl. a family-owned space that was like 30 something years old 
a friend of mine introduced me to him, and so we meet up at like a, a Starbucks or something. And I'm like telling him all these like I had a proposal. That's what I did. <laughs> and he's like, "Huh, poetry, spoken word." Hmm. Hmm. And I'm like, "Yeah, we want to do it on a Friday night. I really think it could be a really cool weekend thing for people to do, uh, for people who aren't really like in, in the club scene or whatever." But still create like something really cool and funky that I had all the stuff. And he's like, I'll give you a Tuesday night. And I'm like, it's it's a weekday. Nobody will come. <laughs> and he was like, well, like he went on about how like I would be eating up like Friday night. Like that's club night. He needed the space. And let's just do a Tuesday night and just see how it works. And I want you to change the name to Rouge Poetry because that's the name of my venue. And it has to be on brand. And I'm just like, whatever. You can call it whatever you want. But that was amazing because huh. he then just was like, here is the space. Come in on a Tuesday night. I'll like throw my resources behind you guys. Buy food, buy drinks. That's all I need, and just get people in the room. Um, of course, at first it was just like me reading poems to my family that I had like begged to come. Um, <laughs> but then as time went on, like I started to see a lot of regular faces: Ahmed Ali, Birds, Mary Pankowski, who I knew from the community at large anyway. Um, poets who just were like, okay, this is like a thing that's happening here. Um, and I realized also that like this was more than just like an idea that was in my head that I could run on my own. And so I started to look at poets who were coming very regularly and quite organically the collective was formed by just like people like Ahmed, Bert, Mary, uh, Chris Kruger, who's no longer mm. in the city, Notebook Nick is uh, another guy, what, that's what he used to be called. And I just thought like I sent an email, I remember saying like, you guys, let's just like, let's be a collective. I didn't even know what that meant formally. Uh, will be called the Breath and Poetry Collective. And this was because there was a quote by uh, Muriel Rookheiser that says, we breathe in our experiences and we breathe out poetry. And I thought, oh, breath? Mm-hmm. Like, I thought mm. I was so, like, deep. <laughs> I think it's, it's so beautiful. Yeah. No. It's got meaning to it. <laughs> so I, like, I had this whole thing. Like, I was so serious back then. It's kind of adorable. Anyways, so I made a, a whole thing. I got a logo made. And I was just like, okay, let's do this thing. Uh, and they were like, okay, sure, let's do it. Like a very informal group of people who just committed to a, a weekly, which, by the way, I don't know what I was thinking. Weekly is huge. My mm-hmm. God. Every Tuesday yeah. night, rain, yeah. snow, whatever. Yeah. And I didn't live downtown. I lived, I live in the southwest part oh. of the city. So like driving downtown, every, <clears throat> no matter what. And it was a situation in which if I didn't show, like I had to show up even if nobody else did. Um, so that's how the collective was formed, um, and I feel like the energy of the thing just kind of like drew. I did. I don't know that I did anything super intentional about bringing people into the space, but I think once word started to spread around like this performance space and you could do whatever you want and it was this thing, um, it started to grow. I was particularly intentional about trying to have like diverse voices in the space. So every time I saw like a, a woman, I'd be like, "Are you a poet? <laughs> Come to my night," or like a, a person of color. Mm-hmm. Nasra will tell you all the time that I just like dragged her and was like, you are coming to mm-hmm. perform poetry here because I had also, I'd been in the slam scene. Uh, the first time I competed in the slam was in Calgary. I had to drive to Calgary to go compete and I was driving there every weekend to compete at a national level before I brought the slam to Edmonton. And mm-hmm. I realized it was like, it's, it was such a male dominated uh, space, a very white male dominated space. Um, uh, with... In the slam at that time it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I just felt like, how do we create a scene that is reflective of the world that we live in, where there's like mm-hmm. women on the slam team, there's black women on the slam team, there's Muslim women on the slam team, and just like 
let's really, really try to, like, be intentional about bringing these people into the space and making them feel super welcome here. And so, um, yeah, that's how the collective started and grew. Uh, I have to say, though, that uh, I, I didn't carry the weight of that collective on mm-hmm. my own. And mm-hmm. without Ahmed Ali and even Nisha Patel like literally dragging it, kicking and screaming down the road, it would no longer exist for me to even be speaking about. And so I'm, uh, I'm acutely aware that I did uh, create it and found it and like poured a lot of intention into it, but the community uh, mm. carried it and built it. And yeah. yeah, I think that's the beauty of the thing. Yeah. You always yeah. need that, the community element, that, that's the response to it that will mm. keep carrying it. Cause, yeah. Yeah, they don't show up to the events and that's... No, you need all the mothers and fathers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, on another, I, uh, another to spin kind of the discussion of motherhood, mm. um, one of the dedications in your book is to your son, yeah. and um, who you mentioned was born alongside the book. Mm-hmm. So how has the experience of motherhood influenced your, your writing and maybe guided the, the collection of this work? Um. Big one. <laughs> yeah, it is a major one. So I was. This collection is. It's changed so many. It's shape shifted so many mm. in so many different ways over the years, uh, and I've been working on it for a very long time. Even mm. before I was pregnant, I just okay. like had started the thing, um, and then while I was pregnant was when I was really, really like I'd found a publisher and I was like really trying to get it done, and so um, while the the intentions and the themes of the collection were quite set. There's something about having a son, having a baby that made me, that like allowed me to reach down into my most primal energy and made me feel more fierce and stronger than I think I ever have in my life. I had no business working on a collection in this time. I was... I also had no business announcing a tour and traveling the world mm. with a new baby. But I was also like editing the work while we were on the road. I remember being in London mm. after a show, sitting up in the hotel, after just performing like with a full band while he was sleeping and just like editing these poems. It was like I was in a trance. Yeah. I could not, like I couldn't do it now. Yeah. There's an energy in motherhood uh, and creating on that level that makes writing a collection while being on tour and, and, and seeing like, I could do this. Yeah. You know, uh, it can be, uh, you know, and this is the concept of like women disappearing. There is a way that you can disappear Mm -hmm. into motherhood and lose yourself. And I feel like I was acutely aware of that being a possibility. And so everything I was creating in that time was almost me raging against that Mm -hmm. and me raging against uh, like blending into the background and me also wanting to, to show my son that while I love him dearly and he is the center of my universe, he is not the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. And like, who is he in relation to the world? Right. And what, like, what kind of things are you putting out? Like, I just wanted him to see me in my power. Yeah. And I felt like that was important uh, for my legacy and for my like life to be doing my work. Um, I, I mean, I could go on and on, but motherhood has both softened me and made me fierce you know and there are depths and layers to myself that I didn't know existed until I started caring for another human being and um I feel supremely lucky that he chose me and Mm -hmm. because he exists in the world 
everything feels urgent to me. And manifesting the things I had dreamed about feel even more urgent than they ever have before. Uh, I just want to do all the things and I want to do them well. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Yeah. Of course you do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's it's a wild thing, but I here we are. We're here we are. It. Yeah. I wanted to talk about collaboration with you mm-hmm. um, because you did mention that music has a lot of influence yes, in your work. Absolutely. And so I wanted to talk about the incredible show mm-hmm. that you just did during the Edmonton Poetry Festival that's called Open. Yes. And <laughs> I believe it was the, the second performance in the city for yes. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to wonder if you could talk a little bit about sharing, you know, how, what it was like um, taking your poetry and sharing it with the musicians to see how they responded to yeah, it yeah. or you know maybe what was even the process for that mm-hmm. so the open show uh originally was created in 2017 uh while i was in lagos and uh i did three shows in three different venues across the city if you've ever been to lagos i know that sounds really simple but it is particularly complicated because mm. lagos is a city that is just wild and wonderful uh so doing three shows uh, within a couple of months in three different venues is like, trust me, it's a production. Mm. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to create Open at the time because I, I had just been um, performing poetry. Uh, people would just be like, oh, we have an event, come and perform. Here's an honorarium. And just like going up to a mic and just yeah. doing the thing. Um, and so for me, Open was about creating a body of work that uh, I could uh, really sink into and spend time with and provide context for and, and, and. And take people on this journey of me really talking about why I've written some of these poems where I was in that time and be more open in a way that I didn't I, I didn't feel that like it could be uh, in a like five minute performance or mm-hmm. whatever else that was happening. So I did those three shows and then I had a baby and when he turned two months I was like, I have an idea. <laughs> I'm gonna do open again <laughs> and this time I'm gonna do six cities uh, across the world and take my baby. It was this whole thing. I really do call it a spiritual experience. Again, part of that, like, primal mama energy yeah. and just, like, I'm doing a thing. Um, and so Open came from that. Um, the first of the first show was in Edmonton. And then I moved on to Calgary and I did London, Abuja, Johannesburg, Lagos, and somewhere else I can't remember. Um, and in each of those shows, in each of those cities, I was working with a different band. So I'm getting back to you much oh. like sharing the music. Yeah. And some of them meeting, like, four days before the show. Uh, the only two shows that I did with the same band, Mela Freak, who I love. Gosh, uh, they are fabulous. Yes, they are so good. Yeah. They're painfully good. Yeah. Uh, was Edmonton and Calgary. And then London, I met the band, we rehearsed, then the show. Uh, Lagos, I knew that I'd worked with the band, like, kind of loosely. It was just, like, all of the shows was introducing the, mu- the work to them and then collaborating on the music. And the way that I did that was by basically creating a script for the show, like I would, like a play or something mm. like that, and sharing with them, these are the poems that I'm going to be doing, These are what the, this is what the poems are about, this is the energy and the intention. I know if people tell you, like, you pray before the show, and it's like, what these are the intentions that we're building into this mm. work. Um, sometimes I'd have, like, I wrote some songs that were uh, done during Open, Tell the Water is a song that I wrote, Tumbling Down is a song that I wrote, but then Mel Freak also has like their own original music that they brought to the table and they'd say things like, okay, you have, like I heard this poem and we have this song that's about such and such, like how do we mm. merge those two ideas? 
which made it super easy, like working with people who had their own body of work, working with people who were super professional. Um, so that's how the work came to be, was me just saying, these are my intentions, this is what I want to share. Uh, what, like, what are your intentions? What are you eager and like what feels urgent to you and how do we find, uh, how do we merge those two things? The two Edmonton open shows were completely different. Like the first one and the one at the festival were different because the festival show was an hour. The first open show was two hours. Oh. And mm. so like trying to condense that and like make it, you know, nice and tight <laughs> so that it could fit into an hour was an, another experience, even working with the same band. And so mm. the beauty of the show is that it is, uh, there's a room for spontaneity. It's, it, there's even room for improvisation and... I feel like that being vulnerable and nervous and open makes the show more open. So that's that's how the show came to be. You know, I have to say, because um, Matthew and I, of course, were both there at the show and I was bawling <laughs> while you were performing. Um, but you just said it was an hour long and I swear it, it felt like five, like five minutes. And everybody around me was like, no, it's not, <laughs> it's not over. I mean, we were so emotionally invested in everything you were doing and the and the the music and the Mm. everything i mean it was really brilliant thank you so much yeah yeah and i remember like handing the lady in front of me tissues that someone had you had handed me tissues because i was bawling you know because the the first poem i was Mm. yeah and then yeah, it was really magical, really magical thank work. Thank you. I feel like that yeah. the, that show was the first time I've gotten through the show without bawling. So Ugh. we're like we're in it together. Okay, <laughs> yeah. we're finally we're right. finally like, at that that's point. Part of the open brand is it is, opera. yeah. It's, it's like it. just the women like give me your tears and I'll give you mine and we will yes. we will claim the world together. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. This is like, but it's such like a incredibly like beautiful and vulnerable show that you do feel like yeah. enveloped and mm-hmm. like comforted by it and it was interesting too like the kind of the different responses that you would get from the audience because I think one of my favorite moments from the show which I like is a story that I've been telling a lot of people is you have the one poem where you're just sharing breakup lines oh yeah like, really, right. and then you ask the audience um for lines your own line yeah of like what was the like worst breakup line yeah. that you got and Alice Major um who <laughs> I love God, very love dearly her. You know, and how long has she been happily married for? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and she yes. was the first <laughs> one to shout out. She said, I'm setting you free. Yeah. And I like was sitting right beside her and I looked and I was like, Alice, does it still bug you after all these years? And she's like, I will never forget yes. it. And I just think of like me still being like a very single, awkward gay man and like the like weird relationship traumas that I go through. And I'm like, oh, I'll be over it one no. day or these things won't really no. matter. But like, nope, those lines and stay with oh, you they forever. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They I mean, do. the sting might not be as sharp, but you remember. You do. Yeah. At every yeah. show when I ask this question, like, people share, some, sometimes, like, it's, like, banter. We laugh. Like, yeah. some people share some pretty deep things and you're like, that still hurts. I can, like, I can feel it. Yeah. You know, there was a lady I mentioned at the show who said, like, she would still drive, she would drive to his <laughs> office and just park outside. And I know we, like, laugh at those things and we just think, oh, that's ridiculous. But Hardy can, like, you can do your head in, you know, in a way that you're just like, I don't even reckon, I don't know who, Yeah. you know, it's like yeah. an out-of-body experience in which you're doing and saying things that you don't even, and I feel like, you know, part of the, the open concept and idea is like, let's just talk about the things, let's say all the embarrassing things and let's heal and let's move on and, you know, and move forward from them, knowing that like, it can't possibly be, like, it can't be just me. 
Mm-hmm. Let's be ridiculous. Let's be no, so no, no, no. Yeah. And yeah, and I think that's the brilliance of the show is that you've pinpointed these very human feelings and mm-hmm. connections that like the audience yeah. can easily respond to and feel a part of. So yeah, yeah, it's something you know. Who's ever listening? If it comes around again, go see, the go see yeah. it. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to ask you to uh, read another poem now, okay. if you uh, if you would like. And the poem that we um, really had hoped you would read is missing. missing. And if you want to maybe give us some context around that. <clears throat> okay. So Missing was the last poem to make its way into the collection, believe it or not. Um, It didn't used to exist in the collection, um, but I worked with an amazing editor, Alessandra Nakarato. Highly recommend. Yeah. Um, Because what she does is just like, she's just brilliant. I could go on and on. Um, And I I kept telling her that there was this poem, you know, when there's a poem, Mm -hmm. a thing that's just like hovering that I wanted to write that would, in my mind, kind of like, bring the different pieces of the collection together and I talked to her about little bits of it and she was like just write the thing and I couldn't it just wasn't coming and I think it was like the last she said if if you're if you don't do it now this is like the edits are over (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. and suddenly the poem arrived and really it's, it's about um so many different things my my own personal like migration patterns across the globe moving from Nigeria to uh canada what that like that idea of like the body being displaced and uh that kind of disappearance into a new culture into a new self into a new thing um and holding that up against also like this very physical disappearance of the chibok girls mm-hmm. um and just it was just a way for me to like bring it all together mm-hmm. i guess um and it's called missing as much as i wish to the president said i cannot promise that we can find them they converted to Islam, married off to the fighters, Abu Bakash Kal said. They were taken across the border into Cameroon, witnesses said. A negotiator told us at least three died in the early days from a snake bite, malaria, and dysentery. I'm outraged and heartbroken. Michelle Obama posted a picture of herself holding a sign. Please know this, Malala Yousafzai wrote, we will never forget you. Years passed without a whisper from the girls. Mm. My father's gun in the upstairs closet will shoot its first and only shot when I'm 10 and the armed robbers come, rattling our gates like rabid dogs. My three sisters and I huddled in our nightgowns on his bedroom floor. We have to leave this country, he whispers to my mother, his finger trembling on the trigger. That night, my father will almost kill a man to protect our childhood. He will never say the words, I love you, but in the chamber of his heart is one loaded bullet. Midnight at the water's edge. Blessing and 3,000 refugees wade in, silent and barefoot. They fall into the sea. Soon, most will wash back ashore with no name to call, but the numbers scribbled on their clothes. Mm. For weeks, the smugglers' telephones on the other side, silent. No one to answer for the girls with skin like rich palm oil bloodying the water. They built fences in Morocco, Pay the nations on the coastline to keep the teeming bodies back. Tomorrow, Europe might no longer be European, said Gaddafi. We will use the human beings as weapons, cram the black bodies into fishing trawlers, launch them from Libya into the sea, the ungovernable, the slaves, the concubines, and the prostitutes, burn it to the ground. Swift flowing river snakes its way through the heart of Edmonton to lay still in the winter of our arrival. Our hands turn white, 
the air like shards of glass to our faces. That night, our family shares a pizza in our basement apartment. Then we fall asleep, three on the bed, three on the floor, our bellies bloated with hope. We tread water for 20 winters between our yesterdays and the tomorrow we were promised. Everything here is borrowed or stolen. The language, the land, my body far flung. I lose my old English, my tongue twice colonized. All the women I know are running toward or away and everything I know of disappearance begins with water. The girls, their thirsty mouths open skyward, rainwater muddying the forest floor. The six month ocean crossing that pulls the salt from our skin, the dam breaking inside my mother, the first blood sacrifice that pulled me from one world into the next began inside a woman, sliced down the middle so another woman could emerge whole. All I know of magic making and survival I learned at birth. I want to defend my country. Which one? I mythologize my grandmother, write stories about warrior women with thunder between their thighs, then the girls disappear, and no one goes looking. I ask my mother the Yoruba word for shame. Do you know they only drank water when it rained? What kind of country does nothing when 200 girls disappear? A thousand indigenous women stop in their tracks to crane their necks back in unison. Tears flood the highway till even the rivers overflow. The girls had disappeared for three weeks before we knew their names. Then we spoke them, 276 in Chibok, but thousands more, missing and murdered across the country, answered. It is customary to wait seven days to name a child. Touch her lips with water and palm oil, honey and salt, cola. Give her a taste of the bitter and the sweet, the joy and the pain. Pray for her, a spirit with the resilience of water. All of this just to say, stay. Wow. Well, I remember when I first heard that is I had the honor of reading with you at the Literally. Poetry Festival for the local books. And I missed you're reading, it. Yeah, and I just... I don't like. I don't know if anyone's taking pictures of it at that moment, but I just like I had my like hand in front of my face, <laughs> just to kind of be like, not to mm. be responding too much from yeah, it. And yeah, I was yeah. just like, not gonna cry, not gonna mm. cry. But like, I think, I think, I think that poem is so incredible, just because it's it's kind of calling at everyone else who's all experiencing the same things. Mm-hmm. Like even just line two on missing and murdered Indigenous mm-hmm. women as well. Mm-hmm. Like how. Um, whatever sick with the world, we're all sick with it together. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's one of those poems that just attempts to like uplift everyone who's also suffering with it. So mm-hmm. um, it holds everything beautifully. So, Thank you. Yeah. Um, I wanted to introduce yeah, that guy. I mean, I moment. usually like say something, but I'm still, uh, <laughs> I'm still stuck. Yeah, I'm yeah. still in that. And uh, I'm just so in awe of it. Thank you. Yeah. I have to say I was really glad that I like like made it happen. I am so glad you made it happen. Yeah. yeah. Cuz yeah. it does feel like the the perfect poem it for is. it. Um and what did I want to say? Yeah, like just how yeah, like every theme kind of connects. But I think those are like those 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 poems that need to be in there always come at like that last the moment. Last yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if it didn't need to be in there, it never would have came, you know? Like True. so. Right. Well, and I yeah, sometimes too. those most important and hardest poems are the ones that are the like most difficult to yeah, get to and then when they're there they're there yeah. I feel like people need to just take this book and 
sit somewhere in silence with it for a little while. I don't think this is a book you should read, like, on the train. No. I feel like you you should be, well, maybe, you know, maybe, but I don't know. I feel like, for me, I need to be sitting beside a body of water or something Mm. to read this, like, in its entirety. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, before I wanted to ask the next question, I wanted, I wanted to introduce oh. the wine top-up, if that... Let's have a, a wine top-up. Yeah. Okay. I'll yeah. just finish it. Yeah, you just... <laughs> you have to catch up. I'm not moving fast enough, obviously. It's okay. You, you, have, to do most of the, you have to do most of the talking, so... Yeah. Doing a deeper dive into this collection, this is how um, we disappear. I feel from the, the title... You know, we're, we're pointed to, as we read the poems, look at the way that things are disappearing or what you're, you know, what what our attention is called away from mm. in those ways. And largely, um, you know, especially from the missing, the 276 um, Chibok schoolgirls in Nigeria who were kidnapped by Boko Haram back in April 2014. Um, but we're also kind of looking at the ways that innocence seems to disappear. Mm. Um, so I was... I guess this is a this may be a big question, so feel free to yeah, about part out like little things. Yeah. But um, how do you think this collection and maybe other poets and other poetry on a larger scale um, maybe work to mark these lives and try to mm-hmm. um, perhaps repair or reappear and prevent these disappearances? Mm-hmm. Right. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> um. <laughs> So before there was a collection, there were just uh, like a handful of poems about the Chibok girls disappearing. I was living in Lagos at the time, a city that was like largely oblivious to the stuff that was happening in, in the northern part, northeastern part of the country. Hmm. Um, and then there was like a viral hashtag and everybody's holding up signs. There was this thing and then a fizzle and then a group of people who just like stayed on course and for years have been just like knocking down doors, bring back our girls. Um, and as all artists do when you feel... Uh, like you can't do anything else we write, which always mm-hmm. feels like such a useless thing at that time. But uh, in retrospect, uh, because of the way that we disappear memories, we disappear things that happen in the world when it's convenient, I feel like art actually becomes super important as a way of like making sure that we remember mm-hmm. <laughs> that it was a thing that happened. Uh, so a lot of those poems were just about, in the beginning, were just about me just saying like, you guys... This is a thing that has happened, that is happening. And we're all just pretending like it's just like this fun game of hide and seek that we're playing. Mm. These are young girls who were at their boarding school uh, studying and prepping for a physics exam. I'm an engineer. And so there's just something about that that just felt like that, that felt very close to home. And I feel like the, the larger uh, issues that we have... Uh, stem from a place of this weird um, distancing ourselves from things that are happening in the world. It's very easy to do that because like, it doesn't affect your everyday. And so when these girls in your mind don't have names and they don't have families that they come from and don't have ambitions and dreams and goals, it's very easy to forget that they are disappeared into a forest and nobody has found them for two years, three years, four years, five years. And thinking about like who do they become in that time even if we find them, and many of the girls have come back, some of them escaped, and, and, and some of them are gone for good, some of them will never know um, what, what version of, of this person comes back, uh, and what does that look like? So these are the, like, these are the rumblings, these are the questions that, are, that were happening in my mind at the time. Um, but I recognize that even though it felt like such a useless thing to write poems, it had, like there's this quote, and I can't remember who said it, about how there must be room for those of us uh, there, there must be room 
in a war for those of us to just sit down and weep or let me know paraphrase it really badly mm. but i feel like in this ongoing struggle for our humanity there's roles for everybody they're the warriors who are on the battlegrounds and they're mm. the people whose job is just to sit down and weep because there's not enough weeping and there's mm. the people whose job it is to just document and write and create it as a, as a form of resistance to this disappearance um and so I, these are the intentions that I was sort of pouring into the work I was, as I was creating it. How do I blur the lines between uh, the us over here in Edmonton, Alberta, or Lagos, Nigeria, and the girls in Chivok? How do we? How do they become our sisters? How do we like give them names and stories and experiences that matter to us in an everyday sort of way? And how do we like how I used to have a poetry mentor to be young. Who would, mm. she has this method called, called the surplusy method and it's, it's like sacredness orality uh intention and all, you know each letter stands for something and she'd always mm. ask like how are you implicated in the work that you're creating so uh with poems like missing even um part of me saying like you know people saying things like oh you know imagine the girls they only had rainwater to drink and we say those things because it's in Nigeria, you know, and like the bad things are happening in this African country. But then we turn it around and think about like what are the things that are happening in our own backyards, in our yeah. own countries, yeah. ways that women are going missing uh, that we are not noticing. I mean, it's a big, big thing, <laughs> but uh, and it's it was such a hard thing to wrestle down onto the page. But what I wanted really, what I really tried to do was create a piece of work that uh, served as like. A, a kind of a reminder of who we are, who we could be, who we want to be, uh, a, as a way to not forget, as a way to not disappear, as a way to acknowledge and say, like, this is a thing that happened, is happening uh, in your backyard, in your neighbor's house, across the world, and we are all sort of implicated, and this matters to all of us, not just, like, as, you know... And, and Shibok became, like, it became a brand <laughs> in a strange way, uh, and even like the, the book opens with this quote by H- Helen Habila about how these are just ordinary girls who were raised to this like mythical status by this mm-hmm. thing that happened. But while the girls were disappearing in Chibok, there were girls who were women, people who were disappearing across the country and across the world. There were boys who were murdered at their boarding house. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it wasn't I didn't want the collection to be about the Chibok girls disappearing uh, because I feel like they... Um, that whole community has also been like wrapped up in this, uh, this experience and the mythology of the experience, but also to like spread that out and expand that into like a larger global experience of disappearance and mm-hmm. and vanishing and, and 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 I think for the rest of my life I'll be thinking about all the other poems and all the other ways that this collection could have happened. But right. I've I've learned to forgive myself that and just know that like my best attempt was to say something mm-hmm. instead of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I think you said something very well <laughs> in it. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like I'm just, I'm thinking more too on this idea of like the way that we mythologize these problems or like make mm-hmm. them something more magical and how that also plays into what you're doing and in, in terms of like disappearance and magic. But mm-hmm. yeah, like I'm still like, there's not really a question that I have, but it's just, yeah. there's a lot of things of, going on I, I had I did an interview recently where the, where the interview said something else it was very grim <laughs> and I said mm. like grimness is a luxury that's afforded people to whom this is not an everyday experience like it's, it's a luxury to say that something is grim if, it, mm. if it's something that you're looking at every day it would just be this is life um, mm. and that's what I mean like, I, I kind of anticipated and expected that 
Um, but part of what I tried to weave into the collection as well was this idea of celebrating the power of womanhood as yes. well. And t- treating, like I, I, I say in the story about how like I was reading up about, uh, you know, the magic trick where there's a woman in a box and she saw it in half. And there's all these conversations about like, who was the first magician to like invent this trick? Like what's happening and all this kind of stuff. Very little about who was the first woman who was in that box and all the like the labor that's happening behind the scenes and under the box and who who is she? And I thought that was very interesting about the way that like the labor woman is disappeared from the world generally, but also about like magic making and the ways in which we're like always shape shifting as women and creating new versions of ourselves and coming out of it alive and whole. So how do we treat disappearance as this, you know, how do we address the horror of disappearance, but also talk about like the magic making that we do, where we evolve out of these things. You know, at the end of this is how we disappear. I say we become a whole new kind of creature, something yeah. fearless and fierce. And I say that because disappearance can also be an act of survival. Mm. Becoming a new version of yourself is also a magical thing. Choosing another way, choosing another ending is also magic. And the ways in which we pass that on to our children and their children should be celebrated as well. I didn't want it to feel grim. I wanted it to feel like a celebration of all the ways that we survive in spite of it all. I think it feels very fierce, you know, Mm. to me, like versus the 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 term grim, it's, it's the fierceness of <laughs> I mean, it. It's okay to be grim, but you know, I feel like we just run, we 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 flee from discomfort a lot. Yeah, well, sometimes it's okay. Yeah, um, it is funny because we were. My question was going to be about the magic in the book mm. and the the um, the power of magic, like in narrative and and poetry and mm. um, and you know, asking you to maybe talk a little bit about the role of poetry in that magic of narrative and poetry. And mm. I don't know if you can expand on that. I guess um, maybe what, the role what, of the poems. Yeah. Like the, yeah. the power that poetry mm. yeah. has in, in these narratives. Yeah. I mean, for me, poetry has always been like kind of like a sacred, uh, spiritual experience because of the way in which, uh, poems for me have uh, emerged they've always come out of a place of like almost like me like trying to create the potions for my own survival right mm. I'm going through a thing and I'm just trying to like I'm, this is alchemy now like I'm just trying mm. to create something that like gets you to the next breath to the next day into the next life or whatever um, and so I suppose that is a thing that I'm always carrying with me in creating anything really um, so I'm thinking about poetry as prayer as prophecy as like magic spells and um, world making and all of these things and I I guess my intention is to somehow weave that into the work to to give I imagine like I'm thinking about the lessons like the like the recipes that we pass on mm. uh like you know like a recipe for a dish or a meal or something that your mother would like write down and say like this is the thing and this is how you make it i'm thinking about survival in that way as well and poetry as that recipe and trying mm. to create some of these poems in a way that felt like something that was being like a, a secret that was being shared and passed on so that it wouldn't be forgotten or disappeared so that somebody else could remember it for the next person so that mm. you know there's a poem in there uh, called this is how you heal the wound um I, I try to like weave in poems like that throughout the collection as sort of like uh, a coded language or a, like a, a message or a recipe being passed on from hand to hand and this is how we make our magic you know this is how 
as women, we have endured and like grown and bloomed through all sorts of things. And this is how we survive. Like this is how we disappear, but this is also how we like reappear as something mm. even stronger and better and more magical. Um, so yes, I'm. Ho- I mean, I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah, no, I think it just feels like no. I tried. I think to, you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting. Like when you, when I when I first picked up the collection and saw this is how we disappear. Like it, mm-hmm. it felt like it was going to be something that was heavy and depressing. But mm-hmm. I think you know you've looked at the duality of the word in such mm-hmm. a way that also there's like like what you were saying was survival. Like there's a survival to disappearance. There are mm-hmm. certain things we need to remove ourselves from, yes. and that, so this is another mm-hmm. like sometimes we are forced to disappear, but sometimes we disappear to save ourselves. So yeah. I think that's. Yeah a really beautiful thing to remember of like kind of like the, the two sides to mm-hmm. every coin. Yeah. Um, and I know like when I was reading this, um, you know, I, I, I dog ear a lot mm-hmm. and kind of go back through things that I need to like revisit. Cause I love like, you know, a poet puts so much effort into every single word that it's really important to do that close reading. So, um, I wanted to talk about one of the motifs that you said mm-hmm. was maybe an accident, but I think it's very sure. intentional. <laughs> um, there's a line in the in the poem after um, that goes, and forgive me for butchering it without your beautiful voice, but okay. forgiveness is a thing we buried in the ground, old bones we count just to be sure that it happened, mm. it was real. And I found flipping through everything again that many of the poems discuss forgiveness. Yeah. Um, and it and could probably bones. And bones yeah. too. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't notice as many bones, but I mean, <laughs> I bones come up in my writing way too much. But uh, <laughs> forgiveness, yeah, and, and its role in processing trauma and grief. Yeah. And I'm wondering, do you believe, because in, in that line, particularly in that poem, forgiveness is always under the ground and we have to keep mm-hmm. going to go check on it. And sometimes mm-hmm. forgiveness would come up in other poems as something that like, instead of this, instead of grief, let's have forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And I, I was wondering if maybe you believe that forgiveness was possible or, you know, if like a grudge can ever fully, yeah. a pain can disappear. Can you disappear um, pain or is it always accessible in the ground? Oof, yeah. <laughs> He gets he really he gets deep. <laughs> I, um, it's like it's such a brilliant collection. Yeah, you is. asked me to go this deep. <laughs> yeah. This is the thing about forgiveness that I've come to learn. Uh, is that oftentimes it is for yourself. Hmm. And it is, in fact, to set your own self free. Uh, for a long time, like closure was this concept that I thought, okay, we have to talk it out and we have to close the thing. Hmm. Uh, some things are way too toxic to go back to close. And to go back to like to forgive outright, I can forgive you <laughs> and never see you again or speak to you again. And that too is an act of setting yourself free. Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like some like the, the book dives into so many different areas, and some of those things are way too deep for like our own very like traditional ideas around forgiveness, where we sit around and hold hands and I forgive you, and now we're. Like, we're good and we're, mm. this is friendship again. We're going forward. Sometimes forgiveness is about forgiving yourself even and knowing that th- this is a thing that happened and, like, I'm going to move through this with a measure of grace for myself. Um, uh, I don't think that we ever... You know, there's this... Uh, Christians say you forgive and you forget. Uh, mm. I don't think there is forgetting. Mm. I think, you know, even one of the lines I say, we try to, we try to, 
forgive what we cannot forget or something or the other way around, I can't remember. But it's always like this interchangeable thing in, in that some things are forgivable and not forgettable. Some things are for, like, you know, it's like, yeah. I don't know that we ever, pain is pain. And even outside of the pain, there's a scar. The scar lives with you. Uh, and this is not to say that you live and wallow in like the darkness of that. You forgive yourself and you like move into the light. But we remember, and these bones that we bury in the ground are, you know, they're not bleeding things, they're not mm. raw and open wounds, but they are relics of what we have experienced and who we have been. And we count them just to be like, okay, this is a thing, you know, mm. and I'm still here. And that's like, and that matters. But every once in a while, I just need to remember, like, this is what I have cut, like, this is the thing that I have moved through. And these are the bones of that. And I'm a warrior, <laughs> like, I, I, that I exist, that I am alive, that I am thriving and doing, like, and I'm speaking in a, in a global uh, sense, mm-hmm. because I don't, you know, I'm just a girl and I need to know. Her. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think that, like, it's important, like, th- th- those bones matter for a, a reason. I know there are, like, uh, you know, genocide museums, and places that we go back to and we do that because not because we want to like live forever in the moment of that of that pain but because as humans as people archiving remembering is the way in which we ensure that we do not go back to those places you know we don't look back we don't turn to salt it's about like Mm. it's right there it exists it's a thing i can touch and feel and every day is a reminder of how i move through and how i like how i just keep going regardless of, of where I've been you know yeah hmm. I've said a lot of things probably not a lot of anything at all I'm sorry you've said no. a lot um and you have said a lot we've talked about you know the motherhood journey and the magic of, of mm. what you've um experienced and and um how we disappear and, and the book and um before we ask you to read your final poem this mm. evening I'm, I'm wondering if you can Tell us what you hope people will take away from this book. Um, honestly, <laughs> there's there's a lot of hearts in this book. Yeah. And I I feel like my central intention with almost anything I create is to remind people that they are not alone. Hmm. Um, and whether it is in Chivok or Lagos, or Edmonton, or London, or wherever it is that we exist on the globe, I want to remind people that, like, this, this, um, this culture of, like, silence and shame and, like, disappearing things um, actually causes us much, much more pain. What I hope that this collection does is, like, excavates some of that, like, some of the things that we've we've hidden and tried to forget, uh, and says, like me too, mm-hmm. you know, I also, and and that's okay. So that through that, like that feeling of loneliness and isolation, and even just like a disappearing from the world into yourself, uh, can be like reversed or or wound back in some way. So that we reemerge, understanding that there is, you know, they say the thing about there's nothing new under the sun. And I believe that to be true. Pain is universal. Healing mm. is our birthright. And I'm hopeful that this collection um, cuts open, but also heals in some way. 
I just want us to remember uh, why we're here. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we would like to ask you to read a poem that Matthew and I both uh, were really struck by um, to carry us out. And that poem is The, the Woman Is Not Your Mother. <laughs> I don't know that <laughs> The Woman Is Not Your Mother. She's somebody's mother. Mm. Um, okay, so the, I won't, I'm just going to read the poem. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yep. The Woman Is Not Your Mother. Not Mammy or Wet Nurse. Not a place to cut your teeth, to milk the marrow from bone, to suckle until sagging. The woman is not your training wheel, is not the leather and lust of your first car, is not your youthful mistake, some boys will be boys story. Something hot you swallow to put hair on your chest. The woman is not your rite of passage, not a river you cross to prove yourself carrying all of your baggage on your head. The woman is not a dumping ground, she's not a wilted and broken thing. The junkyard scrap you drag home to fix. The woman is not your project, not your problem, not an ex exercise in patience. The woman is not a game of chance, a choice at the crossroads of your life. She's not a gamble. The woman is not your lucky number. The woman is not a reward. She's not a trophy. The woman is not your God. She's not your savior or salvation. A name you call upon like a prayer, your last chance at forgiveness. The woman is not your penance for the sins of your father. The woman is not a sin. She's not yours. She's not waiting for permission or validation. She's not ducking down beneath her hurt. She's not afraid to heal or be healed. The woman is not afraid of her lonely or alone. The woman is busy in the work of becoming whole and unto herself. She is in conversations with God, translating the blueprint of creation. The woman is making magic. She is working. And if she finds you working too, she might just let you love her. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Yeah. See? Boom. Fierce. Boom. Fierce. <laughs> Thank you, Titi. Thank you for having yeah. us. Yeah. It ha it's been a really uh, fabulous evening. I'm always like, uh, e every conversation we have is, is so unique and different. And I just feel like I've had shivers a lot of the time this oh, evening. Nice. Um, and I think, you know, maybe because I'm also a mother to sons that a lot of what you're talking about really resonates really deeply with me. Mm -hmm. Um, I know in a different context, but there's still that like yep. heartbeat links. matching links. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So I, I will also thank, thank you, <laughs> TT, for... You have so, like, you ha you're this so is, fabulous. Yeah. I think doing this with you, I know I'm jumping into your thank you. Yeah, thing. no. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's always like... And this is what I was saying earlier when you are talking to me about how the, the, the collective started and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Like, to have my work engaged in a way that is, like, rigorous and deep and meaningful. Uh, like, it just feels... I feel seen, mm. um, uh, and it's not like, oh, what a great performance! <laughs> yeah, like, this is what you were talking about, and like why, and the this, and and like I, I could do this all day long. Oh, wow! About not just about my work, but just about art in yeah. general. About, like, yeah. it's such a powerful thing, and so I just want to say thank you for the privilege of being able to speak about my work in this way, oh. uh, and the care that you took in like asking questions that like. Of course, that's what we love doing, and yeah. I think yeah, like, it we've matters just, to Matthew and I. Yeah, and we've yeah. just seen so many poets that have put that care into their work, and like it's something that like deserves to be recognized and read that closely and carefully. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's this is 
just as wonderful for us to get to yeah, um, learn more about it as we talk with you. So thank you for <laughs> just sharing you. your poetry and your experiences um, with us today. And I guess these are also our other final notes. Yes, and, and we will send a thank you again to Gurvinder Batia and the WGA for being amazing partners and supporters of the podcast. And uh, to keep up to date on Let's Get Lit, please follow us on Twitter at let's underscore lit. And subscribe and listen to the podcast at audioboom.com and more places where you listen to your favorite podcast. Uh, and I guess we will cheers like to, to cheers. end the wonderful evening. So thank you, Titi. Yay. Yay. Thank you.